Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And it's post-election. And so Julia Lee will be talking on investing post the poll on Saturday. Adam Dawes of Shaw & Partners looks at three stocks that he reckons will go higher because of that Labor victory. Then Joe Masters of Baron Joey Capital will look at the economy and ask the question, can it avoid a recession? And will it help stocks go higher? So it's Labor plus uh, the stock market. Will they combined help stocks go higher in the year going forward? And then I'll start with Paul Rickard, my colleague from the Switzer Report, to talk about how he thinks the election will affect stocks and maybe are there any stocks worth buying as a consequence of it. But before that, let me show you a really interesting chart that came from Macquarie Research, looking at the kinds of companies that might benefit from either a Liberal, Labor, or possibly a Green Influence Labor win. Have a look at this table right now. And so what we've got here from this Macquarie research is a whole bunch of sectors and companies that would, would benefit. And this was done before the election, of course, if either a Liberal Labor win uh, came along or a, a Labor win with a heavy reliance on Greens. These, these are companies here. Interesting that Wally is one of those. And Woolley is a company that will feature in this, um, in this uh, show today. One of our experts really likes Woolley, the consequence of it. But I think it's probably worthwhile having a look. Maybe you, you could even just you know, freeze the screen on this and take down some of the names. These are companies that you know, Macquarie believe potentially has some benefit from either a Liberal or a Labor victory. And uh, I think it's very, very interesting. For his take on the election and how it might be sensible to uh, invest as a consequence of Saturday's result, we have Adam Dawes of Shaw and Partners. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yes, yeah, good to be here, Peter. All right, mate. Uh, just generally, what was the feeling of the market's reaction today to the election result? Yeah, I think the market definitely took it in its stride. We were up uh, just uh, around sort of five points when I left the desk, so we've still got a little ways to go. But, yeah, I think the market definitely looked like uh, they were comfortable with uh, what was going on. Certainly some resource stocks did very, very well today, but I think that's got a lot to do with sort of more of the larger commodity cycle. Uh, but, yeah, we did certainly see uh, some interesting moves in the market as far as some of the potential policies that Labor might place uh, on to uh, the, the, the shares or, or the stock market or into the businesses. And some of those moved quite, uh, quite substantially today. Okay. Now, I know you've got three stocks you want to talk about, but those ones aside, what, was there any uh, outstanding jumps today that made you think, gee, this is interesting? Yeah, I think I think certainly Labor has definitely been hanging its hat on uh, the, uh, the whole energy transition and potential that that will will uh, certainly be one of their sort of key policies going forward. And certainly something like a Wallis did quite well today on, on the back of that. Um, they're, they're, they're yeah, actually looking pretty good. Uh, and some of the healthcare stocks actually sat up pretty well also. So that was actually quite good. Mm. Um, probably probably be a little bit nervous about if, if Labor does uh, decide to put an iron ore tax uh, or a mining tax onto some of our larger miners. So potentially you might want to sort of look to some of those portfolio stocks and some of those miners that might be in uh, profitability is just uh, taking a little bit off the top here. 
as it has been a pretty good uh, quarter for the resource stocks as well. And if something like that does come into action, uh, you might see our market uh, react negatively to that uh, going yeah. forward. Uh, Anthony Albanese was asked the question um, at the, uh, the Sydney um, Aki uh, lunch of about three or four weeks ago, and he said they've got no plans to change taxes. So if it's going to come, it's going to come in the May budget next year. Uh, and that would, I think would be the context of a, a booming economy or a rebounding economy and a need to bring the budget deficit down. So I think we'll have some time before we start worrying about that. Yeah, that's fair. I just think that, you know, we've had a really good run on these resource stocks over the last, uh, let, let's say, yeah, last year to date. It's really held up our market, our market only down sort of six, six and a half percent versus globally, you know, the S&P 500 down 18 and NASDAQ even higher at 26 or 28 percent. So, yeah, it just um, it, it bodes just to potentially take a little bit. But you're right. Uh, this is is, is going to take some time and there probably will be a lot of noise before anything actually does start to happen. So just uh, keep, the, uh, keep the ear to the ground on those, I think, Peter. Okay, mate, let's go to um, the stocks you talked about. First one on the screen is going to be GEM. That's G8 Education. It was up today. I think it was about 3.6% I saw before we came on, on um, screen. Uh, wh- why do you like this company? Well, it's just obviously going to be one of the key policies that Labor's put through to uh, the constituencies is that they are going to look at education and potentially childcare. And uh, that, that is going to be a big one for GEM, which will potentially get some more subsidies or get some more free money that will potentially come through. So the market's reacted a little bit to that, uh, that position on childcare. And um, yeah, it just means that uh, there's potential that, that that could actually flow through. So market was just getting probably a little bit ahead of itself. I think it did go up high, but then sort of came back throughout the day. Uh, but that that potentially is one of the benefactors of a, a new government that has just come in. Yeah. This company, it was about a $4 stock and it's now around about $1.19 or whatever. What happened to it? What, why yeah. did it come off the boil? Uh, well, there, there's certainly a couple of things. One was that higher labour costs that had to come through because uh, uh, the government, previous government, put in uh, restrictions on that you needed to be degree qualified to look after children, and hence then uh, they had to then charge more for uh, the the carers or the workers mm-hmm. to actually take care of the kids. So that's the first thing. The second thing is also uh, there was a there's a lot of cost in getting a new childcare. Uh, up and running and then hence the uh, property values of that or to get that moving forward as well that certainly has hit as well and Jem I think they came under a bit of fire because they were very much sort of uh, local Sydney or Melbourne sort of in the CBD kind of uh, businesses whereas they then tried to move outside of that and go a little bit further out of field which wasn't successful for them as well but really, it's the labour costs that I think that really hurt the business going forward. Okay. Now, you mentioned Wally. We've got Wally. Oh, by the way, I should say, Jim, the analysts think about 5.8% upside for Jim. Um, let's go to uh, yeah. Wally now with that, uh, with that chart on screen right now. And uh, here the analysts think there's 11% downside. But I guess you'd say, what would the analysts know? <laughs> well, hopefully they know <laughs> something. <laughs> But yeah, look, I just like it because of this energy transition side of things. This energy transition is going to be huge. And as I said, Labor has really hung their hat on putting that as part of their uh, overall climate change. 
they did come out to, to you know to everybody and say that that's going to be one of their major policies going forward and potentially a lot of people did vote on the back of that um, mm. for them but uh, Wally is, is probably around about sort of four to five percent of its revenue now is, is all about in energy transition or engineering in the green space uh, but for, as we know to get to that net zero by 2030 and 2050 that is really going to take a, a lot of money in fact trillions of dollars each year for that to happen and Wally is in the box seat for that transition uh, they're looking to get around about 25 percent of their overall revenue in the next two to three years coming from that green transition so oil and gas is doing really well for them they've got this green transition or that sort of green tinge across the top of it and i think it's a it look it's a fantastic stock and looking pretty good uh never say safe but it is a, a safer play uh with the tailwinds that it does have at the moment and let me say this to you you could have added to your answer that that those analyst calls were before the election result as well because they wouldn't have had a chance to upgrade uh, and change their price target. So, yeah, good, good reply and well done. I, th I thought you, you were pretty good thinking on your feet then. Let's go to the final one. <laughs> Always happy to help. Let's go to the final one, Thanks. and that is APA. Now, tell, tell my audience what APA does and why you think this is going to be a, a beneficiary of a Labor government. Yeah, so uh, APA is Australian Pipeline Trust. So basically moving gas from Moomba and, and the, the sort of major gas areas around the world, uh, sorry, around the world, around Australia, through the pipelines to basically to the boats out of Brisbane or, or whatever, and then they go onto the boats and then they head off overseas. Um, so APA is the pipeline. So in other words, they just take a clip of gas that's just moving through the pipelines uh, going forward. The stock did rally, and in fact, quite quite considerably. I don't know if you've got that on the chart, but you can see that it did uh, on Friday um, break mm. out of its sort of a, a top end of that $11 or $12 price range, uh, and really sort of broke out. And I think that was on the expectation potentially that this one would do well. It has consolidated a little bit today, so come back a little bit, which is fair when it starts to do uh, some uh, sort of uh, those new highs. It's just seen as a very defensive business. So in other words, when things aren't going so well, this one is seen to be uh, a little bit more of a safe haven. But I think that the energy transition is obviously natural gas is one of those sort of pillars that they will be working on with Labor uh, and to move some more going forward. But I think this is certainly one of those ones uh, that will do well. It is at all time highs at the moment, so I would be very cautious around here. It's got to do some work around that $12 mark before we can start to see it move higher but it will benefit from a new Labor government going forward. Okay. Well, as Chevy Chase said to his son in American vacation, good talk, Rusty. Good talk. Welcome to the program, Julia. Thanks for having me, Pete. So have you been sitting down working out what companies are likely to benefit from an Anthony Albanese victory on Saturday? <laughs> yes. This uh, election has been quite strange because um, I don't think it makes a huge difference to the market. And that's because there's been no major reforms that either party have been campaigning on. The main thing for markets, I think, was whether we were going to see a majority government being formed or a hung parliament. 
And it does look like Labor is going to be able to form a majority government. And that's a positive because we are seeing lots of changes going through the economy, lots of challenges like inflation, rising interest rates. And that just means the government of the day will have a bit more flexibility in being able to manage the economy. So it looks like a positive there. Of course, the big thing to come out of this election is the move to the teal independence, which is a huge swing towards climate change. Um, so having a look at some of those green energy stocks and look, Pete, you know, I like uh, stocks like Orchem, Pilbara Minerals, if you want hard rock Australian lithium, um, as well as Linus Resources. So I think those type of companies are also keeping one uh, eye on China. And today we heard that Beijing has recorded the largest number of COVID cases uh, so far. So in the short term, I think investors may have an opportunity to pick up some of these green stocks for the longer term portfolio. But it does look like Australia is going to play a bit of catch up with the rest of the world in terms of some of the green policies. Um, but of course, a lot of those policies are also dependent on whether there can be supply of things like electric vehicles, with China um, still coming out of lockdown, so watching the COVID situation closely. Have, have you um, identified um, maybe a childcare business that will be a beneficiary? Because there's a fairly big commitment to childcare, isn't it, from, from the Labor government? Um, has anything sort of crossed your, your, um, your research? Yeah, well, GA Education is the big one um, in terms of the market, and it's trading just under 120 at the moment. So the share price has been doing very well of late. Um, but I guess just having a look across the market, and it's been interesting what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. We have seen bond yields moderating and coming back down a little bit. So that uh, talks of a shift in the short term, perhaps towards more growth orientated. Uh, things and away from uh, some of those more interest rate sensitive areas. So I guess if we have a look at uh, the growth orientated stock that I like at the moment, you know I like IDP Education. Aristocrat Leisure came out with a very strong result as well. So that company is looking good. Of course, if you are looking uh, for companies which are linked to interest rate rises for the longer term, uh, these are stocks like ComputerShare, Hub24, also looking good in that space as well as QB insurance. But we are seeing a bit of a shift at the moment, but I feel like it is a short-term shift. And the big question for markets is whether the US does enter into recession. And I think that is going to be dependent on inflation, whether we have seen inflation peak or whether you know, inflation does stay at these very high levels. And I think one thing that investors can watch to get a gauge of whether inflation has peaked or whether things are going to get better or worse is simply through oil prices. We see oil prices above 110 US a barrel. We know that inflation is probably going to stay pretty high. And that's because oil prices really filter into pretty much every product in our life that needs to be transported. So um, watching oil prices very closely for a lead indication of you know, where the market might be headed. Julia, let's go back to your comment around Beijing. Um, did you say that there was the biggest recorded case number of cases and what does that mean for the uh, the June 1 getting our lockdown um, um, prediction that we've been hearing? 
Yeah, it's very hard because we know that while Shanghai is looking to come out of lockdown, Beijing, it looks like things are getting relatively worse there and Hong Kong very much in focus as well. The big thing, I think, for the global economy is whether or not we see China abandoning the zero COVID policy. At the moment, there's no signs of that. And unfortunately, that means that economic performance is very much tied to the health performance of, of China. Um, so watching that very closely, but also watching to see whether we are seeing a shift in terms of the manufacturing uh, process. We know that China is the manufacturing uh, capital of the world, but given what we've seen over the last few years, there are a number of big companies now looking to shift their manufacturing away from China to parts of Europe as well as uh, parts of other parts of Asia. So watching to see whether that's a more permanent shift and whether that gets a bit more demand going, especially from the commodity-based space. But I suspect that uh, China, even though it's doing it pretty tough at the moment, what we are going to continue to see is stimulus coming through in terms of infrastructure and cutting of interest rates over, over there. So that should help to uh, help support our commodities and resource space. Yeah, which you like those stocks as well, don't you? The commodities. Yes, okay. I do. Um, and look, I think it's important for investors at the moment to keep one eye on the short term versus the long term because things are shifting so quickly. There's lots of opportunities in terms of this space. But look, in terms of 2022 as a whole, I think commodities will perform well. Hmm. One last one, Julia. Um, I've, I've asked this of a number of people. Do you think Labor will have a better level of communication with Beijing, which might in the end benefit some of our exporters who have been slammed with tariffs in recent times? Well, you've got Penny Wong there who has Chinese heritage. So um, I guess if you have a, a look at Labor, we'll have to wait and see, but it does look like there, there could be, uh, I guess, a bit more smoothing in terms of the waters, although it depends on China's actions as well. It's interesting to see that Biden uh, making comments that if Taiwan was attacked, that the US would look to protect Taiwan. So also watching that geopolitical risk because we know that things are changing pretty dramatically all over the world and these things are, are hard to predict. Um, so look, it really does depend on China's actions as well and what happens around the world. Mm. be interesting if um, Anthony Albanese sent Kevin Rudd over there because he's Pretty good on Mandarin, but I don't know if he's all that good at uh, schmoozing up to people. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Julia Lee, thanks for joining us. Well, I want to check with my colleague, Paul Ricard, what he thinks uh, the impact of the election might be on investing going forward. And I also want him to have a look at some of the um, stocks that were suggested in that Macquarie table as well. Paul, overall, uh, the market today up and down, not really moving much at all? Yeah, very small movement up, uh, slightly higher movement of the US and the Aussie dollar against a weaker US dollar. So, look, a bit of a yawn from the market, I think. I think relief that um, it's over, relief that probably will end up with the majority government. Uh, which is going to be more workable. Yeah. But because I think so little has been said, there's been such a small target sort of campaign, Peter, there's not yeah. much to sort of point your finger at. There's not too many nasties out there. Yeah. And it's going to come down to execution and uh, their competence as economic managers. And there's not really much for the market to get mm. uh, too excited about at the moment. Do you think foreign investors will like to see Labor get a majority so it can rule in its own right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably the risk. Not uh, I always expected a fairly um, low-key reaction domestically, but uh, the risk was perhaps uh, more offshore. People looking at you know what is on paper at least a left-wing government, and foreign mm. investors typically don't like that. Mm. But I think that's sort of we've passed that test because that's yeah that's sort of there's no big sell-off. There's no big sell-off yeah. uh, coming out of Asia, and I think if they were really serious, they would have got in there early, mm. and then uh, yeah they'd, they'd be more comfortable now that there's going to be probably a very you know a wafer thin majority. At least it means that um, mm. it doesn't ha at least initially have to go make a lot of deals to get uh, form government. Yeah, do you think um, some investors might be thinking? Maybe these guys will get along with President Xi a little bit better than Scott Morrison, and that could be good for some of our exporters. Look, it's not going to do any harm, Peter. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, there's something in that, and I think also they're going to spend money in sectors that perhaps are more in kiln with the stock market, mm. and uh, that's going to take a number of years. Mm. Uh, there's no pullback on defence. There's a slightly more um, openness, I guess, in our relationship with China. Proofs in the eating on that one. Yeah. Uh, and we're, you know, we're cozying up to the United States uh, tomorrow and um, yeah. you know, there's nothing to get too concerned about. And there's no promises of tax reform, which always worries uh, investors when Labor starts talking about tax reform. There's changes. also no promises of new taxes, really, apart yeah. from uh, the, the, you know, the variable go back and let's make multinationals pay. Well, we know how many times that's been <laughs> promised, Peter, yeah. and how effective that's been. It's been as much, uh, as many times as every government has promised to reduce red tape for small business, yeah. and yeah. they never do. Yeah. Now, let's put that table back on on uh, on um, the screen, and this is what Macquarie thinks are companies that could be affected by either Liberal or Labor policies, or the Greens. And Paul, is there any stock amongst them that you think, yeah, I reckon? It's a gullo under a Labor government? Well, I think there are things that uh, are going to go over the time. I mean, mm. certainly we're going to see a, f a, r a focus on renewables. Uh, yeah, and that probably means money to help people and things like with transmission and with you know, new development opportunities. How that translates short-term to more profitability for those companies is unclear, but that's, that's one area of focus. Mm. Uh, yeah, secondly, Peter, there's a strong element here which is not up there on, on childcare. Yeah. So that means money for potentially for the childcare operators. So, um, so G8, G8 is an example mm. of that. But just bear in mind, that's still 12 months away. It doesn't actually, the, the, you know, the new subsidy doesn't come in until um, the 1st of July 2023. Yeah. That's 13 months away. Yeah. So you're not going to see it in their figures until, you know, the reporting in, yeah. in early 24. Yeah. Yeah. Very hard for the market to get too excited about that today yeah. um, because it's not going to show up in the profitability. Mm. I think the other thing here, Macquarie's got an emphasis on things like um, you know, manufacturing and uh, obviously in batteries and so forth. I mean, that's all true. Whether, mm. whether that really shows up, I mean, I'm not sure that um, you know, some of those companies around you know, aluminium and gas and recycling mm you're really going to see that translate to the bottom line. Yeah. Notice that Aurora bobs up a few times. Paul, what, what do you think of that company in, in a sort of a, a Labor government? Yeah, I look, um, I'm, I'm not sure, Peter. I mean, I think that the, the, the challenge for any of the, of, the, of the packaging manufacturers is as the, yeah, as more and more focus is placed back on greener and cleaner packaging, it means they've got to change their processes mm. uh, and potentially, you know, ultimately the consumer wants to see less packaging, not more, uh, and that makes it harder. So um, I'm not sure that's, uh, 
That's just for a winner for them. All right, what about gas? Gas, you've got companies like Woodside and Santos. They're seen as potential gainers under a, well, that was actually under a liberal uh, yeah. win. So, so in a sense, they're probably going, if Macquarie's right, they'll be feeling a bit of pressure. Yeah, I, I sort of think this is, um, yeah, I think I would say rather this is highlighting stocks that have, yeah, will feel the impact of political change of policy, mm. not necessarily through higher share prices and not anything quickly. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, it's more state governments that impact companies like Woodside and, and BHP in terms of development approvals. Yeah. I mean, well, clearly the federal government's got to sign off on major projects and yeah. I guess it's going to be harder for them to get in the long term, you know, carbon intensive projects off yeah. the ground. Yeah. Um, and so that, that has an imp long, but that's an impact over many years and we're yeah. not, that doesn't actually mean tomorrow the share price falls tomorrow yeah. uh, and um, it's all over from there. Okay, so if, you, if you're put on the spot, you'd probably say a company like G, uh, G8, which is Gem, uh, but it's going to take time. You're not, you're not gonna, yeah, uh, I, think, I think look, the areas to look at are edu education, because education and healthcare. You know that, you know, that mm. over many years, yeah. You know, you look at the polls, they heard of Australians trust most to help them with education and medicine. They trust the Labor government because they spend more, right? Yeah. So anywhere you've got to go, extra government spending, got to be good for some winners over there mm. over the long term. Uh, recycling, yeah, I can see that that's going to work and it's going to help some of the, um, you know, the, the renewable energy operators. But there's most of the listed companies there, Peter, have disappeared. Um, yeah. It's all been swallowed up by well, some Well, one last thing, we know that... Um, uh, Anthony Albanese made a big promise to improve um, aged care. And I, I guess, yep. are there any retirement, I know there's no retirement businesses there whatsoever. Yeah, look, I think there's probably something in that. I mean, mm. um, look, overall, I, I have to say, I don't necessarily think at the moment you'd go and bet your dollar on too many companies out there. I think as, as time goes on and we get budgets mm. and we see discrete spending initiatives, it might be easier to, um, Pick winners. Uh, pick winners, but uh, I think in the yeah, as I said, summary. You know, healthcare, education, renewables um, are all the Australian manufacturing. They're mm. all the sectors that the government is going to want to spend more money in, mm. and so there are companies that are going to do better over time mm. as a result of um, the, uh, the ALP government. Okay, interesting times. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. I'm catching up with Joe Masters, Chief Economist at Baron Joey Capital, and with wages data out last week, uh, really interested to see what she thinks is going to happen to both wages, uh, inflation, and ultimately whether she sees a recession or maybe even the, the opportunity for the market to rebound later in the year. Joe, great to see you. Great to be here. Now, you are an economist, and I seldom pester economists to talk about markets, but you are working for Baron Joey Capital. Indeed. So are you forced to have a view on what you think might happen to markets in the future? We absolutely have a view for, you know, good. for our clients. Good, good, good. And yeah. I've only been there a few weeks, so we're still building out all our forecasting framework, but yeah. very happy to talk markets. Okay, right. We'll, we'll finish on that. That's the dramatic part. Let's <laughs> set the scene. And, and the scene is really important to whatever you might say uh, down the track in this interview, is that we got wage data this week. And I know my colleagues in the media were disappointed that it showed that the cost of living is going up and real wages are, are going down. Mm. But 
It's also very good for interest rates and inflation ultimately. So let's start off with that wage number. Do you think it's going to get bigger over the next quarter or two? It's unquestionably going to get bigger. The uncertainty is the timing, a little bit like markets, right? Yeah. So we had the disappointing data. Wage growth was 2.4% in the year to the March quarter. Yeah. So a couple of things happening there. Um, we know that uh, the unemployment rate is very low. We know the labour market's very tight. Eight out of 10 firms are telling us they're having trouble finding yeah. suitable workers. So, you know, where is wage growth? Well, the way that we set wages in Australia means that it takes a long time to feed through. Mm. Um, so when, to put that in context, 20% uh, of our workforce have their wage each year reset by the Fair Work Commission with the minimum okay, wage, 20%, effective yeah. on 1 July. Yeah. The Reserve Bank estimates another 20% of jobs in the workforce have a pay that is set, influenced by that minimum wage setting. So that's 40% of jobs mm. that wait once a year for that ruling. Okay. We also know, and as you would know, lots of jobs in the private sector on private agreements are uh, rebased and set for 1 July, the start of the new financial year. Yep. So, uh, you know, I think we need to see this 1 July come so that we get these opportunities for those contracts to reset. Yep. And I think when you get that, you will see a significant acceleration of wages. The September quarter will basically right. show up. Okay. So, um, given that, what is your new house view on um, what inflation is going to look like by maybe September, October this year? So inflation is going to stay elevated over this year. Mm. Um, we think the peak will be somewhere in the high 5%. Yep. Um, so it's 5.1% in the March quarter. We've got, I guess those supply shocks are bigger and lasting longer than we thought. Yeah. I mean, in effect, if we hadn't had the floods and the Ukraine crisis, if you go back to the end of last year, we were actually seeing signs that some of that congestion in the supply chain was easing. Mm. And then we get hit by two more shocks. Um, yeah. And now we've got China in lockdown, which yeah. is creating all that. So inflation to stay high this year. It doesn't keep going higher though. Mm. Um, you know, we measure the rate of change in prices. So you get this shock that lifts the level and then it stays up there for a little while yeah. and then it starts to come down. Yeah. They call it disinflation. It's still inflation, but at a lower rate. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's, I guess, that's the soft landing in the prices world, right? Yeah. But I guess you'll be looking for the rate at which it falls to, to actually try to guess how many interest rate rises the Reserve Bank's going to do. So where do you, you lie on the... Matt, I love Matt Commons' 1.6% cash rate by the end of the year. Go, Matt. hope he's right. Um, <laughs> but economists, uh, well, of course, he's, he's well, talking the CBA view. Sure. Uh, other economists have it a cash rate at 2.6%, which makes me feel a lot of people will be squeezed if that happens. What do you think, Joe? So inflation's one element, yeah. but the other, as you just alluded to, is household debt. Yeah. And one of the things that we don't know, because we haven't had a tightening cycle since 2010-11, yeah. yeah. is how do highly indebted households respond to that. Um, on our own analysis, for, for what it's worth, when the cash rate gets above one and a quarter, mm. the proportion of disposable income going into mortgage interest payments hits levels that historically has seen consumption growth slow. Yeah. So that will cap how high rates One and a quarter go. percent. Okay. That's right. Yep. So and the Reserve Bank knows that. Well, well, I think they're uncertain. I mean, they're uncertain. About, well, they know the history, but yeah. they're uncertain about the reaction function, yeah. right? Uh, we actually, at Baron Joey, recently did a consumer survey um, 
And we asked a whole heap of questions. Bigger than town, talking to consumers, wonderful. We <laughs> are, well, <laughs> indeed. Um, but you know what was really interesting is consumers uh, can see what's coming, i.e. they can see rates are going up, yeah. um, but they underestimate how far and the likely impact on their budget. Yeah. Um, that and makes actually, sense. People don't understand those numbers. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. then you get there and all of a sudden you get this bit of sort of shock happening in the consumer sector. Yeah. So look, to answer your first question, we've got a series of rate hikes this year, 25 points in June and July and then a few more. Yeah. We also have a cash rate at 160 at the end of this year. 160. Okay. But we've got a couple more in next, one to two more in next year, depending yeah. on the housing market. But 160 is a lot better than 260, and some of them are saying three. That, that to me sounds like recession bills coming down the pike. I don't see how you can get to three. Mm. I mean, even Governor Lowe has said that he is hopeful that the neutral rate is two and a half. Mm. Um, you know, hopeful, right? Mm. And also, we've seen this long-term structural decline in the peak in cash rates, or the the terminal rate. The Bank of England did this work that goes back to 1300 and it shows, <laughs> yeah, 1300 and it shows this long run structural decline and each rate hike cycle the peak gets lower and lower and lower. Mm. Okay, 1300. Yeah, a it's a great one. chart. That's I'll send it to chart. you. Okay, great. All right, so um, on that, um, I guess the logical question now is, um, you think 25 basis points, that's what I was, I was hoping for, um, I think Bill Evans has come out with 0.4. Yep. Michael Knox this week came out with a 0.5, uh, which would take us to an unusual number like 0.85, but there's no reason why it, could, it couldn't happen. He reckons that uh, Phil Lowe's copying the, the Fed in many ways, but we'll wait and see. I hope he's, I hope he's wrong. Well, I don't think you copy the Fed, but I think what happens in the global environment mm. is relevant as part of the decision making. Yeah. So. If the rate rises are bigger than you're expecting and we're expecting, do you think there's a, there's a good chance that a recession will happen? It's quite hard to get a recession in Australia mm. when commodity prices are so elevated. Yeah, good point. Right, so we could have, as we've had previously, a feeling of recession across the East Coast. Yeah. Some states suffering. Right, yeah. but not not the country as a whole. So yeah. again, our you know the lucky country, we can go west and dig things out of the ground, yeah. um, may, may avoid it. You know, we're obviously talking about recession in the, the US, and one of the things I say to our clients is, the US has lots of recessions actually, quite mm. frequent recessions. Its economy is more market-based, more nimble, more mm. volatile. So just because we're talking about recession in the US doesn't mean we're talking about it here. Mm. Mm. I, I share this with my, um, audio-visual team this week, because you know, they're young, of course, audio-visual team should be young. Uh, I made the point that in the US, most people are on 30-year fixed interest rate home loans. And he, of course, he was staggered, um, Andre. And, uh, and I said, but that's why our monetary policy works better here, because most of us are on variable interest rate policy. So does that actually, in a sense, give the Reserve Bank a chance to actually get their, their story right because that can affect every, a, a big chunk of borrowers yep. compared to America. It's all the new borrowers and business that get affected. That's right. So the RBA can affect new loans, but also the stock of, of loans. Mm. Uh, the other thing that make, gives the RBA a little bit more flexibility is they meet every month. Yeah. They have 11 meetings a yeah. year, right? Yeah. Whereas the Fed meets every six weeks. So yeah. I know that doesn't sound like a big difference, but mm. it, it means that you can go by 25, 25, 25, yeah. and in the space of, you know, 
eight weeks or 12 weeks make a really meaningful difference in the cash rate. Okay, so that, this, that force you into the area that most economists don't necessarily like to go, oh, I twist Shane Oliver's name, but Shane does that sort of frame. But what do you, what do you think is going to happen to the markets? I'll give you my, my view, then you can, you can scoff it if you like. But I'm hopeful that the Ukraine war might get either settled by September or October, or we, we learn to ignore the war compared to the way we were shocked by it. Yes. And, I, and I used an example with a, with a client today. I said, well, it's just a bit like how we were shocked, Treasury United States was shocked when the tariff was put on, but now over, after a year, they've learned to sell their wine differently and they're even making wine in China. We probably could, could, we could actually learn to live with a yes. war with oil prices not being as, as elevated. That's possible. No, that's right. As we talked about before, that's the shock, yeah. and then you don't keep getting shocks on top of it. Yeah, and, and also, uh, hopefully, that China stays out of lockdown. So the two supply chain type forces on inflation by, say, September, October might be a lot less, and therefore, it's, I'm hoping that the market says, well, we overreacted, and the stuff that we sold off, those tech stocks, they were overbought in the first place, but now we've oversold them, we probably should start buying more. How, how realistic is that if we get the inflation scenario working out the way I'm guessing? So I think that's a very plausible scenario. Oh, um, she, she can come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but... <laughs> oh, no, maybe she can't. <laughs> yeah. On the one hand, on the other. Yeah. That's a plausible scenario. Yeah. Uh, but I think the risk is that even under that scenario, by the time you get to October and those inflationary pressures are coming off, two things have happened. The inflation genie is out of the bottle yep. and it gets harder to rein in. Mm. And we are, even in Australia, we've seen increasing number of firms reporting an ability to pass on costs. Yep. So once you've passed them on, you typically don't take them back, yeah. right? Yep. Um, and this is after a decade or so where, as you know, Australian firms haven't been able to pass you know, almost anything on, right? They've yep. squeezed their margins. So, so that's possible. And then the other issue, I think, is what we're seeing in the US, where we're seeing a really rapid cooling of the housing market um, and also the US consumer. You would have seen the US earnings this week. Yeah. Um, you know, a whole heap of things yeah, happening Walmart there. wasn't great. Target wasn't Target great. Target wasn't great. But and Home Depot was. Like, are we, are we so there's, <laughs> I think the level of activity yeah. in the housing market is quite high at the moment, mm. and also in Australia, because we brought forward a whole yeah. lot of activity with Home Builder, but the pipeline looks terrible, yeah. right? Um, but the interesting things in those earnings were, you know, sales went up, but I'm just being squeezed by costs, yeah. squeezed by costs, and I can pass some on, but not all on. Yeah. And also the very rapid move by the US consumer to down value. Hmm. Um, so I guess economists have been talking about this, uh, you know, war chest of savings yeah. that US consumers have and Australian consumers yeah. have. So I'm interested in the US to see how that plays out. Does it do a they, real buffer? Do mm. they actually spend it? Or because of the Ukraine and talk of recession and rising rates, do I kind of hold on to those hmm. precautionary savings? And if you do, then your scenario around the supply shock may play out, but the actual economic hmm. recovery may not be as Isn't strong. it funny, Joe, that you know, in economics it's always nice when there are less curveballs, but the curveballs we've got now are extraordinary. You've got that, oh. that household savings unbelievably high. We've got... Um, the fact that inflation remained unbelievably low because of the digital world, that meant it was very hard for people to raise prices. But at the moment, they may have a window of a year before people start rediscovering that there are people overseas who can do what's being done here. And I know yep. even the labour market, you know, the people who want to work from home may well find that 
they'll be hung without a job because someone in the Philippines will take their job. But that could take a year or so, and, and therefore that your scenario, that my, my view could be a little bit too early. But then, if, if it all works through the system, we also have this rebound out of a lockdown, which has been put on hold in many ways. Yeah. So, of course, China will do it, if, as long as they can yep. overcome it. Absolutely. Do, do you think that could actually mean that 2023 could be the rebound that we were supposed to get in 2022, or will the rebound disappear? I think you'll get a rebound in China. I mean, yeah. we, we've seen that all around the yeah. world. Which is good for Australia. Which is good for Australia. And, and actually, just in the last 24 hours, they've talked about infrastructure as one of the levers that they've pulled, but By could BHP. continue By to pull, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the commodity outlook, you know, looks looks reasonably good. I guess, I guess my concern is actually that growth could look okay in 2022, 23, mm. but the headwinds are rising for 23, 24. Yeah, I agree. So consumers run the buffers down, interest rates get to the point and maybe we overshoot and, mm. and they really hurt the housing market and house prices start falling. Yeah. The residential construction cycle, we work through the pipeline and then we've added nothing to the pipeline. Mm. And even business investment, um, you know, it's been very strong coming out of the recovery and the reserve banks forecasts have another lift up next mm. year, but uh, I'm less clear where that comes from. Yeah, it's interesting. I did a speech for the Crane Association and they're, they're seeing they've got five years worth of work ahead of them. Now, that's a really good indication, yeah. but a large chunk of it would have been government spending on infrastructure. The, the, the curveball will be what does the residential part do and which... You can't be as confident about that. You can be confident about what the government's yep. going to spend because they've promised it, in a yes. sense, as a, as a recovery program. But, you know, I, I guess it gets down to this final question. We really are in the hands of the central banks, aren't we? If they go too hard, they'll cause a recession. If they go too soft, inflation hangs around for too long. So eventually they'll have to raise interest rates and recession will be pushed down the curve, maybe to 2024. Yeah, look, it's... It's really hard. I mean, one of the lessons from the pandemic is the role of fiscal policy, right? Mm. And suddenly we're not too worried about deficits, apparently, right? Yeah. So the good news is, is that you can see a world where fiscal policy plays a more active role in cycle management. Um, so that may help, mm. uh, although that's always got a political spin, so it doesn't always come at the right time. No. But for the central bank, I mean, this is the ubiquitous kind of soft landing. We want to bring inflation down just into the band, yeah. and we want growth to be just slow enough to get us there, but no weaker than that. Yeah, we're thinking Goldilocks, yeah, and aren't we? It's, oh. it's tough, right? And also, a lot of the markers that we use in economics, as you know, are not observable. Mm. So we talk about, you know, where's full employment? Well, we don't know where it is until we pass it. Yeah. Um, where's the potential growth rate in the economy? Well, you don't kind of know until you've passed it. Mm. And where's the neutral crash rate? So which it benchmarks whether you're expansionary or contractionary. Well, we kind of don't know where that is either. So mm. we don't know it's tough. Were... There's a lot we don't know. <laughs> I, think the, I think the pandemic showed that, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And, I, and a pandemic has created more curveballs than we've ever had before, I think. I think, I mean, you and I have talked about the economy mm. for a long time. Mm. I think now more than any other time in my career, there are more moving parts mm. and more uncertainty within each of those moving parts, yeah. which ultimately leads to market volatility. Yeah. That's how I see that. Well, let's hope Baron Joe pays you a lot more money because it's a lot harder <laughs> job you're doing. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Great to be with you. That's Joe Masters of Baron Joe Capital.